Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. This is episode 140. We're recording this Sunday, August 22nd, 2021, at 3 p.m. Pacific time. I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. And joining me, at least for the start of our podcast today, is the full gang, Zach Saltz, Todd Plucknett, Adam Daly. Zach, what are you drinking today? I'm having some Agua Fria. Beautiful, beautiful. Well done. Todd, Amazing. what are you drinking today? Uh, this is tequila, and it's like a lime cucumber juice. And right. uh, I have actually put cucumbers in there, too. It's Check. really refreshing. Check. Really good summer drink. All right. All right. Good, good, good. Adam, what are you drinking today? Uh, oh, I'm drinking a whiskey sour out of a very nautical looking glass. So there very we go. nice. Cheers. Very nice. I, I, I took Adam's advice from last week and I cracked one open. This might look familiar, Adam. It's a Dawn of the Red. How maybe are those, by over, the way? Because... <laughs> maybe left over from a month ago from when you guys were here. <laughs> nice. So uh, there was so, yeah. leftover drinks. Wow. I know. I know. I know. It's news to me. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review all over the internet. Uh, we are on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. Also on YouTube, where you can find some clips of the podcast, as well as some other fun stuff as well. All right. Let's get right into this. What have we been watching this week? Let's give our weekly update on something we watched going to Zach first. All right, I don't have a criterion this week, but I did go to the theater and I Ooh. saw a movie that we had been thinking about reviewing and that is Respect, the biography of the great late Aretha Franklin played by Jennifer Hudson. Um, and uh, this is a pretty enjoyable, if not standard biopic of the great Motown singer. I think if there was anyone born to play Aretha Franklin, it's Jennifer Hudson. I think she's tremendous in the movie. One of the things I really liked about this movie is that Jennifer Hudson sings her own songs and she doesn't sound exactly like Aretha Franklin, but it's but her voice is so great that it's still really impressive listening to it. And uh, I think she she possesses the same sort of like dynamic uh, stage performance uh, capability that Aretha Franklin had. The movie's two and a half hours long. It does uh, sag at times. Uh, it feels like Jennifer Hudson doesn't even make an appearance in the movie until about the 35 minute mark. So we could have cut down some of the uh, childhood information about Aretha Franklin. Um, the movie's directed by Liesl Tommy. And I'm really glad it wasn't directed by like, you know, Bill Condon or Taylor Hackford or some, or Rob Marshall. I think Liesl Tommy is, uh, is really talented as a director. I think there's a lot of cool set pieces in this movie. I learned a lot about Aretha Franklin that I didn't know, which is one of the things is that her uh, rise to stardom actually took a long time. She was doing kind of more um, standards and kind of fifties hits before developing her own style. So I think it's a solid biopic. It's a three-star movie. I have not seen the Cynthia Erivo series last year where she played Aretha Franklin. I realized there might even be better, more introspective looks at Aretha Franklin's movie. Could have been a miniseries, but I think in terms of just pure enjoyment at the movie theater with an audience of 60 plus uh, year olds, uh, it's a very enjoyable time and uh, I liked it a lot. So thumbs up. 
I thought you were going to say it was an audience of 60 plus people. I'm like, really? For, for respect that that's impressive. No, it, it was an older audience. It was a very vocal audience that applauded many times over the movie. And uh, <laughs> it, it was a great theatrical theater going experience. I think I'm glad that this is in the movie theaters. I don't think it would be quite the same on HBO Max. So go out and see it if, uh, if, you, if you feel so inclined. Yeah, I've been trying to see that one in theaters last couple of weeks and haven't gotten to it yet. Uh, if, if you would have said, do you if, think Jennifer oh. Hudson gets an Oscar nomination? Uh, I don't know. It's probably this movie probably too released a little too early, but no question. If this was a November December release, uh, th- this is an Oscar nomination. I, th- I think she's terrific in it. Right. I would have zero would problems have, with that. I was gonna say if you there were sixty plus people in the theater, that's re- a respectable showing. Uh, oh, I see, I see what you did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Low hanging fruit. Okay. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, I'm going to go next. Uh, for me this week, my uh, I've, I've got two I want to mention really quick. So my Oscar anniversary watch, we'll see if you guys can get it. We're going back 10 years to 2011. And this movie won an Oscar for its sole nomination. It might have been the only movie that year to do it. Got one Oscar nomination and one. What category? Beginners uh, is correct. Uh, yeah. Beginners. It got it uh one Christopher Plummer his Oscar for best supporting actor. Uh this movie written and directed by Mike Mills uh stars Ewan McGregor uh as uh as a man named Oliver who is grieving his father's death. His father is Hal played by Christopher Plummer. Uh, who kind of had an interesting last few years of his life. After his wife died, he revealed to everyone that he uh, was gay and uh, spent the last uh, four or five years of his life actually living the life he felt like he probably should have been living the whole time uh, and uh, and living happily with his boyfriend. Uh, Melanie Laurent plays plays a role in this as well as Oliver's girlfriend that comes along and gets developed throughout. Um, I'm going to say there's a reason it only had the one nomination and that's because this movie isn't that great. It's pretty boring. Uh, I, it was nothing in this movie really had me engaged at all. I mean, Christopher Plummer is, is good. He's fine, but he's not doing anything outstanding that he hadn't shown in any other movie. His win was definitely a career achievement win. Um, and then I looked at that year and that was a pretty weak year when it came to supporting actor. I don't know if necessarily anyone deserved that win. So maybe that's why Christopher Plummer emerged out of that race, but it's a, it's a pretty boring movie of just watching Ewan McGregor mope around for an hour and 45 minutes. And, uh, isn't that all he ever does? I mean, he does some other things, but I don't know. It just was, it just is a downer of a movie with no real, nothing to really make you engaged in it at all. I one and a half stars. Uh, I wish it was better, but uh, that that's what I'm given for, uh, for beginners. The other one I want to mention, I did get to the theater this weekend and I didn't see respect, but what I did see is a movie that I haven't heard anything about. And I went to see it because I saw it was playing and I saw the cast and went, that sounds interesting. And it was, it's called the protege. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, uh, yeah. it's directed by Martin Campbell and it stars uh, Maggie Q, Michael Keaton and Samuel L. Jackson. And, and Robert Patrick pops up in there too. Um, 
from you know Terminator 2, Robert Patrick. Uh, this is a fascinating movie. I'm giving it three stars. It's worth a watch. Uh, and I don't know why. I like. I haven't seen a commercial for it, a preview for it, anything. I went in pretty cold and had no idea what was going on. Uh, Samuel Jackson plays an assassin that um, that as rescues Maggie Q's character when she is a young girl in Vietnam, and uh, and trains her to be his protege. And uh, as they're going along. And start looking back at at some uh, at some past uh, missions that they had done, some past hits, and it leads them into this whole other world of trying to figure out what's going on, which is where Michael Keaton pops up as this kind of intriguing um, counterpart, this intriguing foil to Maggie Q. There's a lot of cat and mouse, and are they trying to kill each other, or are they are they? falling in love with each other you don't really know throughout and it's kind of a fun little game they play uh i'm giving it three stars it's a fun movie it's a fun watch uh it's it's suspenseful it ha- it keeps you guessing and uh, i mean whenever you see samuel jackson on screen it's always a good time too so um so yeah so uh what, go see the protege i don't know if anyone else has but i did and it was worth it so so yeah beginners and the protege any thoughts yeah, beginners. I remember. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> beginners is profoundly unmemorable. The only thing I remember about it is that Mike Mills needed to like just get out of the way. Like there, there was potential with that movie in terms of like the father son dynamic was interesting, but like I don't know, the stuff with the dog, it just I don't know, it just r- rubs you the wrong way. And and yeah, I remember it being pretty monotonous. Well, and I, if I, you're gonna give a, a a career win that year, also had Nick Nolte and Max von Sydow in the in the category, it right? Did. So, yeah. I mean, it, you didn't need to give it to Christopher Palmer. He's probably the third the best actor two, in that group. <laughs> but the other two were uh, Kenneth Branagh for My Week with Marilyn and Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill for Moneyball. So, I mean, just five really weird, random performances. And I don't know if any of them were really like Oscar level stuff. But, I mean, you, I would say Nick Nolte might have been the best of the five. And then maybe maybe Jonah Hill, which was such a weird nomination that that's what he got his first one for. But uh, yeah, yeah, he, he got an Oscar nomination for how he clenched his fist. Um, we yeah. should redo that. We should have a segment that just redoes the 2011 Best Supporting Actor race. It's 10 years later. It's a pathetic race. We we are smarter than the Academy. I love it. Let's do that sometime. Well, yeah, well. Looking back at the like the like the that was the first year the animated feature was there too, and there was like three random movies there too. There's that was a weird year for Oscars. If I go, you can that go was back. Two thousand one. Two thousand one was the first oh, year. Oh, shit, never mind. Forget it. But they were. It was a random group. It really. Anyway, was. it's a random group. Forget me. Yeah. Oscar <laughs> trivia is not my forte. <laughs> yeah, we found that out last week. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, Todd. <laughs> what did you watch? Uh, so I eliminated Eric Roberts from the running of what I'm going to follow. I went back to Mickey Rourke, and I'm going to see what happens. I'll I'll do him and uh, Matt Dillon, and I'll, I don't know, I'll figure it out. But I watched the 1992 Roger Donaldson movie called White Sands, which stars Willem Dafoe. Uh, he's like a small-town sheriff, and he kind of, he comes across his dead body on the side of the road that it looks like a suicide. It's got he, The body had a gun, and then the briefcase, it's got like $500,000 in it. And he, during the autopsy, they find a, a digested piece of paper in his body that uh, has a phone number on it. And so he, like, sort of masquerades as the person on the other, or 
uh, as the person that's dead to talk to the person on the phone because he thinks it might not be a suicide. And he kind of unwittingly stumbles upon this big FBI investigation. Miss Mickey Rourke is like the crime boss sort of guy. Um, but there's something more to his character. He's really interesting. Samuel Jackson is a really violent FBI agent. And the other wrestling. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the MM at Walsh is in there. Mary Elizabeth, Master Antonio, Maura Tierney, James Rebhorn, Mimi Rogers, and another Beth Grant movie. I don't know who, if she's mentioned more on any podcast than ours. It's she's always is coming Beth up. Beth Grant. Maybe you need to deep dive Beth Grant. <laughs> I, I could do it. It's going to be a bunch of one scene performances, but um, I don't know. Roger Donaldson's a cool director. He directed one of the, my favorite cagers, Seeking Justice, uh, and he did like the recruit. Uh, but this the, the it's this one's closest relative is like No Way Out, which is probably Donaldson's best movie. It's like he knows how to craft suspense, and uh, the plot the plot is extremely complicated. It's kind of hard to follow at times. One thing that stood out to me off, right off the bat is that Willem Dafoe is jarring to watch as the, like, protagonist. Like, a really well-intentioned good guy. Like, it, the whole movie, I'm just suspicious if he's actually a good guy because it's Willem Dafoe. So it, it, it kind of kept me on my toes. I don't know if it was supposed to be like that. He's basically Will Graham uh, in how it treats it. It's uh, it's definitely a post-Manhunter type of crime thriller. Mickey Rourke is super cool. It's almost like the an older version of his character in Diner. Um and uh, immediately when he's on screen, he just like demands your attention. And it's it's like he flipped roles with De Niro and Angel Heart or something like that. But he's not over the top or anything like that. The, the movie is pretty paranoid. It, it, it The plot is boiled over so much that it is kind of hard to follow. But it is pretty cool. Samuel Jackson is the best part of the movie for sure, though. Like, this is early Sam. He lights up the screen. I didn't know he had these kind of roles before Pulp Fiction. But uh, this, is, this is the kind of role that he would have had, like, late 90s, early 2000s. But it really showed a sign of something to come. He, he and Mickey Rourke just walk away with the movie. It's like a satisfyingly confusing movie, and I'm giving it three stars. <laughs> nice. Satisfyingly confusing. There's a pull quote for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Nice. What's that movie called again? White Sands. White Sands. Right I think now, that, I like the idea of mixing actors together, like Mickey Rourke and Willem Dafoe. Maybe you should just watch movies where, like, because Willem Dafoe should also be an actor you consider too. Mm. But like, yeah, that's interesting. I I thought what you were going to say was White Palace with uh, James Spader and Susan Sarandon, which is an underrated '90s movie that you should watch sometime. Is Mickey Rourke in it? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like how James Redhorn's in it too. I mean, any anytime you get Doctor Bob MD, it, it's it's worth it. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, him and Mimi Rogers and Emmett Walsh, it's just like the, the who's who of just those random characters. Yeah. Alright, Adam, what did you watch this week? Alright, so I really, well, <clears throat> I, I won't spoil the review too much, because it's kind of like a vlog slash review with my daughter, but we did go, we got an early screening to see Paw Patrol's the movie, which I will say that the director of the film actually shot it, get, retweeted my our post Saw about that, it, so yeah. that's that's pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, it was that's a fun movie, easy three star uh, film. There, it was good father daughter time. Anyway, but the movie I wanted to talk about is a movie I've actually already seen before, but we went did a revisit because my wife's been really binge watching My Wife and Kids, starring uh, Damon Wayans on uh, it's, I believe it's on Hulu. So I said, have you seen this movie from 1995 called Major Pain with Damon Wayans? Uh, and she had not seen it before. So 
we watched it and i i actually um have watched this quite a lot before um, growing up especially with my dad uh, this is a kind of a damon wayne's place this uh this uh, major in the military uh major pain and he he's basically killed everybody out there there's no more fighting they're doing a lot of the fighting in uh like the supreme court so he's kind of out of work and he can't find a job in normal society so he uh kind of finds himself becoming uh kind of like a head overseer of a jrotc program and has to lead these uh ragtag kids to uh this the what was it? The, uh, the Virginia military games. So he's kind of showing these kids the ropes and the funny interactions between all the characters are uh, really uh, just fun and charming. And it's really quotable. We get to see uh, k- kids who actually, we see, um, what is it? Uh, Steven Martini plays cadet Alex stone. You get um, uh, Chris Owen, who we know is the Shermanator from American pie. He shows up in this one, yeah, a young Orlando Brown, who is from like uh, the proud family. Uh, move uh, TV show is in there as well, and Karen Parsons from uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air shows up as kind of the love interest too. Uh, this is a it's a very '90s Wayne's Brothers production, but it's uh, actually really quotable. And I actually didn't realize how many uh, little quotes I pull from this movie every once in a while. So, uh, Major Pain is a uh, 2.5 stars. It's it's not the craziest movie, but it's really kind of a, a fun rewatch. And I, I I wouldn't mind watching this more again because it's just it's fun. It has that kind of comedy elements that my wife really likes, and it's kind of nostalgic to me for some reason. So yeah, Major Pain. There we go. I've never seen Major Pain, but I always get Major Pain and Sergeant Bilko mixed up because they came up out about the exact same time and have similar titles. But one's Damon Wayans and one's Steve Martin. So yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a fun little it's a fun little film. I uh, yeah, surprisingly nostalgic. So weird. Well, that's what we've been watching. Now let's continue on with our reveal of our top fifty, no top hundred of all time. We've been doing the top fifty last few weeks. And we are now into movies 30 to 21 on our list. That's where we're going to be. Zach, lead us off. Give us 30 to 21. It's kind of crazy because that graphic actually had my number 30 movie on it. It's it's all our number 30s. If you hadn't hadn't known, it's all of our number 30s. Oh, whoa. Oh, so spoiler alert. Yeah, it's a little bit of a spoiler. Maybe not mine. Wait, can we guess whose is who? Mine is definitely not Lawrence of Arabia. You changed it. That movie's long and boring whatever dude okay i've changed mine no you you change yeah you change the graphic it's whatever all right zach go for it all right well the my uh which was the best of those three four movies uh is spike lee's 25th hour a movie we've discussed on this podcast a few times uh we should deep dive it someday uh my favorite spike lee movie my favorite ed norton performance terry knows this but um when i saw this movie in college for the first time i became so enamored with it that i actually started dressing like ed norton in this movie and i grew a goatee like him i didn't quite commit to the leather duster but um i just loved everything about him i always dreamt of having a car like he has and like a cool hand luke movie poster behind him but uh, I, I love this movie. Uh, that was why you had a goatee. That was. Oh yeah. I, I didn't know that. yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh yeah. He's 
absolutely. We should do power rankings of top five movie characters that you want to be. He would be my number one. Um, okay, uh, number twenty nine is actually. a Christmas favorite. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. We deep dived this last year. I'm pretty sure I'm uh, I'm the one with the highest uh, with this movie the highest on their list. But uh, you know, I love it. I, I'm unabashed. I mean, if you, if you haven't already noticed about my list, this is not a very film school centric list. I mean, this is just like pure sentimentality. So uh, this movie gets me uh, every Christmas, and uh, it's I think it's one of the best movies of the forties. Especially the last forty five minutes. Yeah. Especially the last forty five minutes. Oh, but the swimming yeah. pool scene's good too, and that's in the first uh, thirty minutes i think number yeah. 28 is uh far from heaven Christ. i think this is my number one of 2002 at this point a movie that i know todd shares a lot of admiration for i hate the dvd cover of this i love the actual poster of it which is blue and just really glamorous this looks terrible this looks like something you'd buy at walmart for 99 cents but uh it's a great movie my favorite todd haynes movie number 27 i'm gonna try not to cheat here i should i would just say the apu trilogy but todd's rules say we can't go with the trilogy or multiple movies so i'm gonna go with the middle install of the Apu trilogy, which I think is also the most underrated and forgotten, which is Aparajito, which uh, shows Apu um, going to the city, leaving his family. Uh, this is also a great movie about a, uh, a dysfunctional mother-son relationship that uh, I actually uh, can uh, relate to a lot in my own life. So uh, it is my favorite of the Apu trilogy, but all these movies, let's be honest, are absolutely uh, fabulous. Uh, where am I? Number 26 is also a documentary. It is Crumb by Terry Zweigoff. Um, and I know Terry is not a fan of Terry Zweigoff, but he needs to see this movie. And then he will be because uh, it's an amazing movie about eccentricity, about art, about, uh, let's see, uh, representation, about dysfunctional families, about people that can't really age uh, and, and be acquainted with society. Uh, it's an amazing movie. Number 25 is... Uh, Come and See by Elam Klimov, uh, the great uh, Soviet movie from the 1980s, which looks at this Belarusian kid as he basically gets involved with fighting the Nazis during World War II. There are some horrible atrocities in this movie. This kid basically goes from looking like sort of a lanky, normal teenager to looking like an old man by the end of this movie. So uh, you will also age as you watch uh, the trauma and violence of this movie. Number 24, I don't actually own a copy of. I own it on amazon.com it is a movie that i've watched within the last year it is a movie i assigned to todd it is a movie called the stolen children uh and it is uh, il ladro di bambini by gianni emilio uh wonderful movie about a policeman in italy who uh has sort of assigned these two kids whose mother has been arrested for prostituting out the daughter and it's kind of about their journey across italy to this kind of orphanage and along the way all three of them kind of mutually grow uh, and benefit uh, from each other it's a beautiful heartwarming story number 23 is a movie that was mentioned last week on the podcast it is tim roth's the war zone i claim it's the most depressing movie of all time that doesn't mean it's not a bad it, it, it's it's a bad movie it means it's definitely worth watching it means it's a zach movie it's definitely a Zach movie, but uh, you know, maybe watch it once. I, I, I can't. I honestly can't say how many times I've watched it. It's probably not not more than three or four because it's pretty brutal to, to sit through. But it's a great movie. Number twenty two. And taking the Tarantino part of my list, Jackie Brown. I mean, what more do we need to say? We love Jackie Brown on this podcast. And number 21, another movie we've deep dive, A Beautiful Mind, which I'm ashamed I don't own the, I, I don't know how I don't own the Blu-rays of either of these movies. That's shameful. But uh, it's a movie that I deeply love. Again, probably more of a movie that I have a personal connection with. Is it the, really the 21st greatest movie of all time? I mean, I'm saying that it's better than Citizen Kane. I don't know about that, but uh, I have a lot of personal uh, uh, connections with that movie, and I think it's uh, uh, an extraordinary movie, maybe except for the last 10 minutes, but you know, 
who cares? Great <laughs> up to that point. Well, as someone who has yet to say that one, and it's still coming up on my list, I agree. Um, and, and and that actually has a good Christopher Plummer performance in it. It so. does, Doctor Rosen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there are five movies in the middle of that group of ten that I haven't seen. However, one of them I'll see this upcoming week because you assigned it to me for trivia. So that's right. I hope you enjoy yeah. a beautiful mind, Terry. It's it's really good. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> Judging by Todd's poster, you know he's more of a Denzel fan for the 2001 Oscar race. But hey, that's okay. You know, it's only you know Russell Crowe only gives maybe the greatest performance of all time. But you know. Oh, okay. So uh, run, I forgot. <laughs> run it back down. Thirty to twenty. Oh, sorry. Then... Number thirty is twenty uh, fifth hour. Twenty nine is It's a Wonderful Life. Twenty eight is Far from Heaven. Twenty seven is Aparjito. Twenty six is Crumb. Twenty five is Come and See. Twenty four is Iladro di Bambini, The Stolen Children. Number twenty three is The War Zone. Number twenty two is Jackie Brown. And number one, twenty one is A Beautiful Mind. Thoughts from Todd or Adam? Yeah, a lot. Uh, six movies I need to see on your list there, uh, but. Those the twenty fifth hour. I know I've been. I don't know why I haven't seen that one. That's the one, probably the most one that I would want to go out and see because of Edward Norton and Spike Lee. But that, that's a big oversight on me. But yeah, Far from Heaven. That that the main poster of that film is way better than the that DVD. <laughs> Isn't that always how it's better? The, the the posters are always better than the DVD DVD covers sometimes for whatever reason. So yeah, it's a great. I, I've seen all the movies that he mentioned. It's it's a great list and. I'm not sure that Aperjito does the best of the Pooh trilogy, but I mean, I if you're only going to put one on there, it's kind of hard to argue. Well, then what would you put? I like the Pantra Pantali. Or yeah, I think that's the one that a lot of film critics put on. And I mean, that's the entry into the series and it looks at Apu as a kid. Uh, but I find a little more resonance with the idea of Apu leaving his family, going to university, Without spoiling the movie too much, there's there's death in the movie and there's this kind of city versus uh, rural uh, conflict in the movie. But uh, I, I love all of them, so you really can't go wrong with any of them. All right, Adam, 30 to 21, go for it. All right, number 30 is from 1994, and that is Kevin Smith's Clerks. Now, this is a combo pack nice. of Chasing Amy, Jay and Silent Bob, and Clerks. Um, we saw a photo of Clerks 3, so I'm really excited for that film. But the first Clerks is really, really um, it's not the first film in that, uh, that, that franchise of films that he does, but it's probably the one that is the my favorite by by. by by far but it's it's such a great little introduction to this this world of people who are not supposed to be at work today it's a really fun film and i like jay and Sam bob also their appearances there too uh my next film is a jack nicholson film and that's from 1975 and that's one flew over the cuckoo's nest uh this is just a great film you guys deep deep dove this film as well one of your first deep dives and i have to say that this this movie is is really great great performance there um also about mental health too which is a really um Good point there too. Uh, next film is also from 19, uh, 1975, and that's Steven Spielberg's Jaws. Now, Jaws for me is one of those films that actually, to this day, has still scared me to go into the ocean, uh, and because of I probably watched this at an early age, so it, it scared me. But I also just I'm, every time I watch this movie, I just like it even more. I love the, the just the characters and the uh, the score by John Williams. I'm looking forward to doing a road to our journey with Spielberg. That's gonna be our next one. So yeah, Jaws. Um, the next film here is from 1999 by Sam Mendes, and that's American Beauty. Uh, I, this movie is is so good. I, I love the, the story and uh, Kevin Spacey does give a good performance. Got to respect his uh, the art there, and 
yeah, I rule. The uh, the next film, number 26 on my list, is from 2010. This actually was my number three film of the de last decade, and that's from Derek Derek uh, Kane, France, and that is Blue Valentine with uh, Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams. Uh, this is a heartbreaking film. We kind of talked about this a little bit last week, too. Uh, just a really powerful look at relationships and toxicity as well, but great performances from Gosling. How did he not get an Oscar nomination from that? And also Michelle Williams knocks out of the park once again. Uh, kind of going off the 2010 best of list, and I have my number favorite film of the decade, 2011's Drive from Nicholas Winding Refn here. Uh, this one, I actually knew this was going to be number, number 25 pick as I was putting this list together. I thoroughly enjoy this film. Uh, Refn is a very uh, traumatizing director at times. A lot of his films kind of get a lot of hate, but from The Neon Demon to Mother to Drive, he's he has some really good choices here. And I really love the this film so much. Mother. He didn't. Oh, that was Darren Aronofsky. That's not what I meant. Dang it! He, only God forgives. That's what uh, that I meant. The other Gosling one. So anyway, I'm just gonna move on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My uh, number twenty-four is uh, Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas. Uh, it's a great mobster movie. You guys also did a uh, deep over this film too. Uh, Leota. De Niro and Pesci, great one of great performance, great trio of in film history too. There, so this is a great film from Scorsese. Uh, the next film I do actually do not own, uh, but I know they just released it on 4K very recently, and that's Michael Kikimo's uh, um, Deer Hunter. Yeah, another great uh, performances from De Niro and Christopher Walken and Meryl Streep. It, it's just everything you want, kind of in this uh, this world here. A great uh, kind of Mil uh, military film also after the fact too and i know this will be talked about later on our list too so uh, number two on my list is from darren avernoski the director of mother and that is requiem for a dream uh so uh, this is a, we talked about this one yesterday last week too uh just really crazy look at addiction here and i just thoroughly uh, amazing i need, definitely want to rewatch this film again so definitely Darren, this Re requiem for a dream is tomorrow 22 and number 21 another jack nicholson performance and that's roman polanski's chinatown i have not seen the two jakes but this i need to watch that one but the two chinatown is fantastic it's not a name of a city by the way uh so go back and look at that power rankings back then but anyway chinatown jack nicholson uh, great performances there and uh, hey it's chinatown so there you go all right run us down 30 to 21 a uh, 30 clerks 29 one flew over the cuckoo's nest 28 jaws 27 american beauty 26 blue valentine 25 drive 24 goodfellas 23 deer hunter 22 requiem for a dream and 21 chinatown i'm realizing one of the flaws of my list is i probably had goodfellas a little too low as i see it keep popping up on everyone else's that's one that's one reaction i have um, funny fun fact is i actually the first time i watched goodfellas you know how those dvds are a side and b side i remember you telling me this yeah i watched the wrong side and i was like that was a short movie it said three hours long what the then i looked i was like oh b side that's what so let's watch it again so. <laughs> you, so you also you also show your love of ryan gosling here which is which is nice well i had to put those two movies close together so i was like oh I'll, I'll, that's what i'll do it yeah, can we say, would you have seen those movies? Would you have seen Blue Valentine were not for me and The Deer Hunter were not for Todd? Uh, I I'm trying to remember. The you're, Deer Hunter you're, you're welcome, for, is all I'm for saying. Sure. The Deer Hunter was for, for sure because Todd's, that was one of his favorite movies at the time. Uh, Blue Valentine, I'm not 100% sure if we, we I told you to watch it, man. That. 
I, but I, I don't know. I've seen it a while ago. So probably oh, okay. I'll give you the credit for it. But Blue Valentine, yeah, that's a that's a that's a, that's a dang good movie, man. You're the fr- yeah. you're the first person who likes it more than I. I mean, li- listen, I you know I get shit for putting it 37 on my list. You have it even higher. I've never met someone who loves the movie more than I do. So my hat's well, off to you. That's and now you've goal. actually met Adam too. So. That's and true. I've actually me. met you. <laughs> My goal is to go back for daily notes and to review the films that are my top 100. So I might have to invite you for the Blue Valentine talk. Maybe. So. I don't know if Freaking. there's that many other know. fans out there. <laughs> well, I don't. Who cares? It's, it's, it's fine. Let's just do it. <laughs> we should do it will, in the future room. Yeah, there we go. I will say that I love that Kevin Smith is represented on this list. I unfortunately don't have any of his movies on there. Like, I, Clerks kind of hurt to leave off. Like, I was wow. sort of a last, last minute cut. But I'm, I was expecting Clerks to be in your top 30, man. I was I was waiting for it to be mentioned on your list. Man, he, yeah, he's a good director. Like, I saw that photo. I just was like, was like yes, i got to watch Clerks again. I cannot wait to talk about it this week, too, that they released that photo for Clerks 3. So, well, yeah, they're, like, almost done filming. Like, they yeah. bang that thing out super fast. <laughs> yeah. it's He's a fun director, man. I love how all his little self-reverent jokes, but callbacks to other films, too, and even his other movies, even though I didn't like Tusk or, you know, that, you know, he's still a very crazy director. So I had to put him on my list. All right. My turn. 30 to 21. Here we go. So my number 30 is the uh, movie that Zach said a little earlier is way too long and boring. And I completely disagree. That's Lawrence of Arabia from 1962. Um, I, I love that movie. Uh, it's one of those where if you want to show someone what directing is if you want to show someone what cinematography is you have them watch lawrence of arabia uh and a brilliant first time performance from peter o'toole there as well uh i've always said that um 1962 is such a fascinating race and i think they got it right i think gregory peck gave the best performance in to kill a mockingbird and lawrence of arabia was the better movie but still peter o'toole is outstanding in that so that's number 30 number 29 Another entry into the animated world from 2008. It's Wally. Wow. I I wow. love Wally. I've loved it ever since I first saw it, and it is it's kind of the silent film of of Pixar uh, because there's very little dialogue in it. It feels very kiddish, but it is saying some amazing, profound things about society, about what uh, what we are doing to this planet and, and, um, and then just the simplicity of just love too. And, and needing that connection. It's brilliant. Uh, number 28 is one that I own, but I lent out to someone like five years ago and never got it back. So Chris, if you're listening to this, give me back my DVD of Chinatown. Um, oh wow yeah chinatown number 28 i i love this movie the the twists and turns of it jack nicholson's amazing faye dunaway john houston it and and the way it ends is just so just it just kills you and it's amazing and i love it and um yeah just one one of the great 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 neo-noirs uh that we've had number 27 has been mentioned before um titanic it's got to be up there it's got to be um i didn't realize just how much i love titanic um until fairly recently in when i was like when it like 10 years ago when they released like the 3d version in theaters 
like my wife and I were one of the first in line to go see it. And we had an entire theater to ourselves uh, watching Titanic in 3D, which was kind of a bummer that we were in there all by ourselves. But it was amazing and brilliant. And it is as epic as you can get. And the fact that it became like this huge commercial hit at the same time is just awesome. Number 26 from 2003. It's Kill Bill Volume 1. And actually, I'm going to throw out there number 25 is Kill Bill Volume 2. So I have, I've got them back to back. And uh, I have them right around this spot of being in my top 25. And um, if it were in the rules, they would have been together. But both of them really deserve to be on the list because I, I think neither of them are as great uh, as if it wasn't for the other. And uh, the question was, what was going to be higher, Volume 1 or Volume 2? And when I first watched it, I felt Volume 1 was definitely better uh, because it ha it gives such a great setup and leaves such a great, great cliffhanger moving into the second film that I just felt no matter what, the second film couldn't live up to the hype that the first one built up for me in my head. And but then as you go along, the second one, I mean, the way it it plays this whole thing out, it's totally just brilliant. But it's no it's no good unless you have the setup of the first one. So I've got them back to back here at 26 and 25. 24 is the highest animated movie on my list uh, from 2015 Inside Out. Again, doing what doing what Pixar does best of building a little kid movie, but saying something profound that that is universal to everybody. And the way this, uh, this constructs a world that looks at, um, at mental illness and depression mm. and, and uh, change and all these things, it's, it's just brilliant and does it in a way that, that anyone can understand. Uh, it, it's just incredible. Number 23 on my list is LA confidential from 1997. Uh, talk about another somewhat neo-noir. Uh, it, it's it's just the, the again kind of similar to Chinatown the twists and turns that a movie like this is able to have um, the the mystery of it all and and the payoff of the ending it's all just brilliant amazing performances all throughout twenty two we just talked about in a deep dive a couple months ago from nineteen seventy six Rocky this is actually a box set with the first with all six Rocky movies in it but. Um, I mean, we talked a ton about Rocky already. I don't need to necessarily say much more about it. Uh, it it's awesome. Lovable loser that actually becomes a champ. And number 21, I'm surprised I actually don't own. From 1995, The Usual Suspects, which we talked hmm. about uh, already before. Um, one of the best twist endings of all time. And uh, and the setup for it is is just brilliant as well. So actually, I have it higher is, than I do. <laughs> uh, yes, I do. I do. So yeah, there's my list. Let me run it down for you again. Number 30, Lawrence of Arabia. Number 29, Wally. Number 28, Chinatown. 27, Titanic. 26, Kill Bill Volume 1. 25, Kill Bill Volume 2. 24, Inside Out. 23, LA Confidential. 22, Rocky. And 21, The Usual Suspects. Discuss. I love that you put Inside Out on the top 100. Surprisingly, it's that high, but I really appreciate that movie a lot because it came out this like the same year my uh, daughter was born around that mm. time and so kind of very sentimental it's my favorite pixar movie too uh so that uh yeah i really appreciate that pick a lot of uh, good movies there in that list um some homework like i have to do with zach and todd's list i'm sure so uh lawrence arabia never seen it so but everything else 
I, I approve those those picks. Those are good movies. Yeah, I always said Wally was my favorite Pixar movie, but then when I was building my list and it came down to it, I'm like, no, Inside Out's better, but Wally's still really, really good. Yeah, you got a four movies on there I don't really like that much. I don't understand the worship of Chinatown. I don't. I I think it's like an average movie. It's fine. It's like it's crazy, indistinguishable from a lot of the other noirs. When you clearly of, said you weren't a noir fan before. True, though. but l- let me put it out this way, Todd. Have you seen The Long Goodbye with Elliot Gould? That's yeah. a good noir because that has a sense of humor about it, and, it, and it's about something, and it's interesting to watch. Like El, like you know Elliot Gould and his cat and the hippie girls that live across the hall. Like that's that's fun to watch straight laced noir that takes itself too seriously yeah not not that fun but i do respect your kill bill picks terry and uh it's hard to argue with titanic <laughs> I, I knew you would like seeing titanic up there well yeah the I, I mentioned it last week so <laughs> great when we do our uh, uh 25 year anniversary next year it will be uh fun times for sure that will be a great deep dive that will yeah be. that would be that would be a fun one todd did you have anything i mean i i like all the movies you mentioned i I I I, just, I think it's crazy that you have usual suspects higher than me, but I mean that I I respect that. I mean, Ella Confidential is, I mean, I don't know. We kind of talked about that too, but it's like, I mean, I, I like that movie a lot, but I mean, it, I don't know. I haven't seen it in quite a while. Yeah, it's been a little while for me too, but um, but yeah, I I, I love that thing. All right, Todd, last one, thirty to twenty-one, go for it. All right, my number thirty is Goodwill Hunting, which. I don't know. If you're going to ask me like what my actual favorite movie to watch is, it might be Goodwill Hunting. I but I know it's not a perfect movie, but there's something about it that personally just gets to me and uh it's it's it makes me just feel good just like the movie which is I I don't know what to do with movies like that. So I mean here it is, at number 30 is still pretty high. Number 29 I have Boogie Nights. Uh I did a deep dive of it. It's I mean it's just genius one of the shortest two and a half hour movies there are there is and uh i mean it i don't know why it's so exhilarating to watch this movie necessarily because it's not i mean it's pretty dark and it's pretty disturbing but it, it's it's also i mean i i love it enough that one of my fantasy football teams every year is named brock landers so i mean there's that <laughs> uh number 28 i have before sunrise which has been mentioned a couple of times just maybe the one of the best movies about young love ever. And uh, I, I mean, it immediately fell in love with it and I needed to watch the whole series, which is why, well, number 27 is Before Midnight, which, hmm. I mean, I, I mean, it came out the same year as This is 40. And I always thought like, why isn't this movie called that? Because that's pretty much like what I feel like about <laughs> oh, this movie. Good. Wow, good com- but comparison. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I love it. It, it has some like really wrenching fights between the, between, um, uh, you know jesse and celine and uh it's I, I i still love watching it and i unfortunately it doesn't sound like there's going to be one next year which there really should be but uh and let's say like really like do it real quick in the next year or something like that but which i will be first in line to see it but um, i i remember this is the only one I, of them i saw in the theater and i loved it but number 26 is before sunset it, t- it's, it takes basically in in real time and i i stand by this be having the the best ending in the history of movies uh yeah i mean if you've seen it you know what i mean wait no 25 i have actually is uh i don't own the dr strange love or how i learned to stop worrying and love the bomb which is kubrick at its best uh, at his best and i think i named this as the number one dark comedy of all time uh it, i mean it, it's just so 
weird and it, like I, Kubrick has a way with his humor that just is so acidy and it's dif- different than anybody else's. And Doctor Strangelove is also Peter Sellers at his absolute best. Mm-hmm. Number twenty-four is Matchstick Men, which I've seen an absurd amount of times, and I and it never gets old. This is Ridley Scott's best movie. It's not really even close, and uh, w- one of the best Nicolas Cage performances. And it also made me an, an immediate fan of Sam Rockwell. Like, because of this movie, I've seen basically everything that Sam Rockwell has done. And I always wonder where Alison Lohman is, because she, I, I loved her in that movie as well. Number 23, I have Raging Bull, another movie that we did a deep dive of. Just a, a movie that I'm more, I'm more like have an obsession over than I do actually, actually love it. Like, there's just some, some, some things about the movie, the, the way everything is shot, like the opening sequence. Everything is just, I mean, it, there's no movie quite like Raging Bull. And it's, I mean, it's not a boxing movie, which I, I think it's, it's a movie about a boxer. And I think that if you go into it knowing that, then you'll like it. I even read the book. Number 22, I have Almost Famous, <laughs> and which has dropped a little bit. I mean, it, it's still, I, I just watched part of it yesterday. It's still just, I mean, it, it's a movie that I just love to watch, uh, similar to Good Will Hunting. And like I said, I don't know what to really do with these movies. But I mean, I, I kind of feel about this movie the same way that like Russell Hammond feels about that kitchen in Topeka. Like, I love this kitchen. I, I love this. Movie. <laughs> and number 21 is American History X, which did not appear on my previous list. But I mean, when I when I really thought about it, this movie like is just it, it made an impact on me when I first watched it. And I've seen it quite a bit. And I remember so much of it. And so when I actually had watched a decent amount of it, like in the last year. I was like, okay, that, that movie still deserves to still deserves to mention, and it's this is pretty high for it. But I, I feel like this movie is relevant and it's different because it's fair, and not a lot of movies about skinheads or anything are ever going to really be fair and, and ever going to make it so you can actually understand how someone can go from being like a really smart high school kid to being like a skinhead, uh, you know, uh, like kingpin dude. So American History X, I love this movie unabashedly. All right. Uh, recap is 30 to 21. Number 30, Goodwill Hunting. Number 29, Boogie Nights. Number 28, Before Sunrise. 27, Before Midnight. 26, Before Sunset. 25, Dr. Strangelove. 24, Matchstick Men. 23, Raging Bull. 22, Almost Famous. And 21, American History X. I like how most of us were like very intentional about what was right around that 25 number. Like, I had Kill Bill, 25 and 26. Adam had Ryan Gosling, 25, 26. Todd had the Before Trilogy right before 25. And, Zach, I don't know if you were intentional. Yeah, you had nothing, no. No, but yeah. The rest of us were intentional about it. Well, I like this list, man. This is like no more no more white heat bullshit. Okay. No more Le Dulos. This is like the Todd Plucknet <laughs> movies. Okay. So no yeah, I'm I'm glad we're all there. Low key twenty I, you know I'm gonna say, you know, twenty two through twenty nine are better than twenty one, but they are all good picks, and uh, I have mad respect for putting all the before movies on there in the right order. I would absolutely agree with that order. Yeah, yeah that's a good order. Is. I mean it, if watching them twice, you'll you'll realize that before sunset really is the best one. So they all have that's things right. that are they're they're different kinds of they're almost different genres of movie too. Genre. Yeah, that's true. So hearing your the ordering of that, that's exactly my ranking of the those before movies too. But you have but before sunrise on your list. 
I know, but I was putting it, I kind of put it there because you kind of have to watch that to watch the other ones, but it should have been before sunset, shouldn't it? <laughs> uh, oh. I should have put that one, but it, I, I love this list. Um, and one of those movies might appear in my top 10 that you have mentioned and hearing some of the thoughts already, it's going to be an interesting conversation there. So, uh, but yeah, I, um, I think that this list is fantastic. There's so many good movies. I just watched Dr. Strange for the first time and it's definitely a, Different than I was expecting it, but Peter Sellers is just amazing in that movie. So really good. Need to rewatch Doctor Strange Love because the first time I was like it's an like easy three and a half, but it's also one of those movies that I was thinking about putting in my top one hundred out of just respect to Kubrick. So good pick. Do you, do you notice that we have five nineteen ninety seven movies on our on our four list? I don't think Adam has any, but several ninety seven movies have been mentioned. Next year is going to be a good year for deep dives. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> I have three Ethan Hawk movies, which is why I have a poster behind me of him. Ah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There we go. That explains yeah. it. Invite me for some deep dives. I love those things. So for next year. That's next year's a good year for movies. I, I was gonna say with Doctor Strangelove on there, I just finished updating our full 1964 list on the website. And uh and the most recent like top list I had for 1964 from Adam didn't have Doctor Doctor Strangelove on it yet. So once I get that, I think Doctor Strangelove is going to be our number one, uh, our number one movie of 1964. Oh, for 1964. Right Hold yeah. on a second. I can, I can, I can tell you right now where it, it ranks. I just, I'm... just, just send it to me. Just send it to me. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, what? Yeah, it's my number one film of that year. So. Yeah, okay, then. Go. Yeah, it'll definitely be number one. <laughs> right now, it's, uh, it's behind the two movies that all three, all four of us have seen, which is uh, Mary Poppins and My Fair Lady. <laughs> Ooh. No, <laughs> it's not yeah. the right place. No. <laughs> All right. Well, that is our, our reveal of 30 to 21. I will say it is interesting that we started uh, this segment with Edward Norton and ended it with Edward Norton. So that's a good bookend there. Uh, both of them with, with the goatees. 25th hour in American History X, both with goatees. Exactly. Uh, so next week, we'll be back to reveal 20 to 11, getting really, really close to our top 10s. So uh, look for that next week on the podcast. And uh, yeah, with that, Adam, thanks for coming. I'm off. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I'm off to see Jungle Cruise. So we'll, we will nice, see you later. Nice, nice. Enjoy. I'll report back later. So. All right. See ya. see ya. All right. It is now time for a featured review. And for this, uh, this week, we are reviewing a big festival hit uh, from this year that uh, instantly became a, a very anticipated movie just came out on Amazon Prime this weekend. It is Annette. First time I fell in love. Woke up next to the girl and escaped fast and far. But Anne has changed me. What I see in her is obvious. What she sees in me is... Mm. Uh, starring Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard, and Simon Helberg. Todd, I'm, I'm starting with you. Because well, we gotta you... go to Zach because he's oh. a Sparks Brothers uh, genius. <laughs> no, we gotta, no, we gotta, we gotta go start to with you. This is a, this is, it's a Leo, Leo's car accident movie before a Sparks movie. Exactly, exactly. So Todd, tell us all about Annette, if you can, and what you thought. <laughs> okay. Annette 
is the name of the daughter of a stand-up comedian played by Adam Driver and a opera singer played by Marion Cotillard. And that is about as much plot as there is. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, it, it's it's complicated in the way that Leo, Leos Carax uh, only can do. And uh, Simon Helberg is na- is comp- is a uh, character's name is the accompanying accompanist accompany yeah accompanist. accompanist. Yes. Uh, and this yeah, Leos Carax of of course the director of Holy Motors and written by Ron Mail and Russell Mail, uh, who are the Sparks brothers who evidently made the movie. Uh, they they wanted it to be like an album, and then they decided that they couldn't really make it an album, so they decided to write a movie around it, which makes a lot of sense. And I don't know what this movie is. Like, with with Holy Motors, Leos Carax is working in French, and so like the wackiness and incomprehensibility is like endearing and unique, but in English it just seems random. And it's it's in love with its own ideas and allure, so it comes off like an indulgent David Lynch type movie. Which I'm kind of okay with, it, it, but it's it, it is not exactly what I was expecting going into this, and, and you can tell there's not really a script. It's I mean it's it's a, a series of songs that is strung together by scenes of things that are happening. Like I can't really describe, but, but I'm put around some sort of basic plot, and uh, it's like once, but with no real decipherable happen anything happening uh, uh, between songs, and there's basically no speaking. But I have to say, like the movie is really hypnotic in the in the in how it spins its web, uh, and uh, even though it's way too long, it, it never really gets boring. It just, I mean, it's just fascinating to look at. Adam Driver is really good, but he's not a good singer. Like, I mean, that that was one problem I had with the movie. There's a little bit of Rex Harrison in what he's doing here, and especially in his mustache. But I mean, also in the fact that I think there's a little bit of uh, unfaith but yours here. Marion Cotillard is great. Um, but more than anything, the movie kind of feels like a play. Like there, there's nothing really cinematic going on. The visuals are pretty basic, and I think it would be really be easy to replicate it on stage. I think it'd be probably a better play than it is a movie. But it, it, it's something else. I mean, and it, it got to me, and I was I was I, I was I was enjoying it. But it's not Holy Motors. It's a three star movie. Okay, three stars from Todd. Zach, where are you at a, with this? Oh, no, most... I, I know you are right. a huge fan of the Sparks Brothers. So yes. Uh, that was like one of the most unenthusiastic three-star reviews I've ever heard. What did you, I still don't know. What did you like about it? I mean, I, I mean, I, I like. I, I thought it was hypnotic to watch. Like, I, it was, it was something that I, I mean, it just like it, it, it brings you in, but I just don't know what it's bringing you into. Okay, and yet two and a half stars for Stillwater. Okay, whatever. All right. Uh, so, uh, Annette. I didn't hate the ending. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a good, that's a good starting off point. I will say, I think my two, I really liked the first five minutes of this movie and the last five minutes of this movie. Um, the first five minutes actually really kind of got me like going. I was kind of excited. Just, uh, more movies need to start like that. Like you, you, without spoiling too much, you know, you get the whole cast there. It's like kind of, it's in one uh, long take. That it's song almost is like the Coca, on my phone. The Coca Cabana sequence from Goodfellas, you got a little bit there. Uh, it's a cool, it's a cool way to start a movie. I, I really like that. I, I think only a French director could do something like though, like that though. And uh, I will have to say uh, that the last part of the movie w- was was interesting. The last scene, because uh, again, without spoiling too much, there are things that the, the 
it goes in a direction you don't necessarily expect, but is oddly sort of poignant. And, you know, even though I didn't appreciate this movie for long stretches of it, I did think, okay, well, I've been with these characters for a long time. And there is some like resonance a little bit with, with the, the, the final scene. But um, I'm going to have to give this movie thumbs down. I, I, I thought I was going to echo a lot of what Todd was saying. I think this movie is supremely self-indulgent. Um, it, uh, it meanders. It has scenes that seem quite pointless. Nothing happens in this movie for really the first 60 minutes of this movie. I think uh, Karak's would say maybe it's the for character development. But honestly, you could probably start this movie at the 60-minute mark and just be fine. Um, Adam Driver in this movie, uh, I mean, his stage persona is, I have some people have compared it to Steve Martin, maybe Andrew Dice Clay. I sort of think it's a little bit like Stephen Wright meets Tappy Tibbins from Mark Room for a Dream because you got the like juice by Sarah, juice by Sarah with the audience. And Why'd you become a comedian? Yeah, it's like the most dour, depressing uh, comedy ever. And I know this is not an original comment, but like I, the fact that this guy is the world's most popular comic is just ridiculous. And I think this gets to another problem with the movie, which is a problem sometimes that I've seen in Lars von Trier movies, which is that Leos Korax is not a director who understands the United States. Um, you know, Lars von Trier famously refuses to film in the United States, and so, uh, but his movies all seem to take place there, and so as a result, there's a, like a little bit of disconnect, you know, like Eyes Wide Shut, which was not shot in New York City, doesn't feel like it's New York City. This movie does not feel like it's shot in America, and I also have to say, Lars Karak's, I mean, there are scenes in this movie that uh, are trying, I guess, to satirize like Entertainment Tonight, like tabloid news media that just do it doesn't feel authentic at all. And then, of course, we have to talk about the Super Bowl, which was evidently played between Michigan and Ohio State. And uh, this the does not feel that this is like like the, the most uh, it didn't feel at all like the Super Bowl whatsoever. It felt like, you know, someone who's never watched football trying to replicate maybe what the Super Bowl is like. Um we have to so we have to talk a little bit about sparks uh you know sparks and they uh they are musicians that are admired by many i am not one of them i've made that very clear even though i think their documentary has some odd parallels to this movie in the sense of its self-indulgence in the sense of it being overlong also some weird puppets in both doc in, in both movies as well um and some uh bad music now i will say there are some decent songs in this movie. Um, the main song, uh, We Love Each Other So Much, is fine. And I like that it's kind of repeated throughout as a motif. Um, but, you know, the Sparks Brothers, like Philip Glass, like tend to repeat the same lyrics over and over again. There's really only like about 10 words in each of their songs, it feels like. I would agree with Todd that the singing in this movie kind of leaves a lot to be desired. It's a little hard to believe Marion Cotillard is an opera singer as well, even though she's an Oscar winner for playing a singer. Um, Simon Hed Helberg in this movie uh, wanted more of him. I was hoping he'd bring out his Nicolas Cage or Billy Baldwin impression, but that was not uh, meant to be, unfortunately. Uh, this movie, it's hard to watch this movie and not think about Dancer in the Dark uh, because, you know, Dancer in the Dark was also a musical that was some, sort of a downer, um, but Dancer in the Dark was so much better because it had authenticity. I don't know. This movie's fun. I guess I admire, to some degree, I admire a director who's bold and doesn't want to just do what everyone else is doing. I think Leos Carax is a gifted uh, director. He has great vision for this movie. And Todd's right. It's not necessarily that it's boring. It's just kind of overdone 
fun and unrealistic. I give it a two stars, but I, I do feel like if you're ambitious enough, if you have that sort of taste for movies that are so offbeat and so unusual that they're worth seeing just for the audacity of the construction of it, then it's probably worth checking out. The Sparks Brothers documentary was better than this movie. I'll just I'll put put it out there, but uh, you know it's it's kind of a mess. I just find it interesting that I've never heard of the Sparks Brothers before this year, and then you have a, a documentary about their music made by Edgar Wright, and now you have a a musical starring Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard. That, well, the doc uh, the documentary yeah. went into the making of this movie a little bit. They they talked about the the, the kind of long strung out production of the, the making of this movie. It, it's just crazy that all of a sudden this group that apparently has been around forever that I've never heard of is got two movies in the same year. Uh, I'm, I'm giving it two and a half stars. So I'm between you guys now, famously Holy Motors, Todd Mint named his number one of whatever year that was 2012. Um, 2012 and I named it the worst movie of the year. Once I saw it, uh, this one uh, is better than Holy Motors simply in that it, there is some sort of plot. There is something going on. Uh, I think the musical, uh, I, I always like musicals and it, it uh, there are some really good songs, some catchy songs. Like I said, the, the opening song of this is now on my phone. And I think one of the best comments I saw about Annette over the weekend on Twitter was that um, regardless whether Annette win, uh, gets nominated for any Oscars, uh, there it's a missed opportunity if the Oscars don't start with So May We Start. Um, like that, that would just be brilliant. Um, it, this movie falls into a trap of a lot of musicals in that it, it starts off and at the beginning it, I was kind of fascinated by it. It was weird. It was crazy. It was something else, but it had me. And then if, if you, if, but if you have a gimmick kind of like this has, it, it's, it's got a, it's a quirk that fascinates you eventually it gets old and you lose you lose focus you you don't care as much anymore and so by the time you get to the end of it yeah the end has some really interesting stuff going on but you have to go through so much to get there that kind of loses its way in the middle so it kind of like what you guys have been saying it's a strong beginning it's a strong ending but in the middle it kind of loses its way a little bit um i thought adam driver was fine um, he's not the greatest singer in the world, but he, he is serviceable in this role. Um, I, I don't think Marion Cotillard ages, which I think is really weird. Um, but, uh, yeah, two and a half stars. I thought about giving it three, but it just, it just got too not interesting in the middle. Yeah, I mean, it's like this movie is just, I don't know. It, I think it's, it's trolling. It's trolling audiences. I don't like movies that do that. You know, it's like instead of trying to go for shock value or just avant-garde, why, why don't try to why don't you try to tell a story that's like unique and original? Like this movie has a trajectory in its narrative that is that you've seen in so many different movie musicals, and just it feels you know it feels the star is born or star is born the artist. I mean, the whole like idea of the careers going in different pathways and. That, you know, I, I think there is a, a kind of, um, you know, veneer that kind of covers up what is sort of an uninteresting story. I also have to say, you know, as as potentially moving as that final 10 minutes were, I couldn't help but also think that it felt a little bit like an SNL sketch or a family guy digression. 
you know, like uh, for 10 seconds. It just, but you know, I, in, in a way, like I hats off to Adam driver for doing a performance like that and for, you know, showing emotion in front of a puppet. Team America World Police is an underrated movie too. <laughs> and and I will agree that the the unexpected spark, you could say, in the movie was Simon Helberg and he needed to be in more. Like we needed more Simon Helberg. Like take a song or two away from Adam Driver and give Simon Helberg more to do. Yep. Yeah. Or Ben Stiller. Hey, yo. Hey, what? <laughs> What a, sorry what what oh yeah it's whoa, better that's whoa, better whoa whoa yeah. terry's got it yeah that's it <laughs> why uh, didn't Annette go on the conan o'brien show why annette should have been making some yes. late night tv appearances if she's that big if she's gonna perform at the super bowl she needs more media saturation and i think we needed more cameos for that maybe james corden would have loved no, that no conan's the perfect one conan would have been the perfect one yeah I mean, she, Maybe she was Dorton. a redhead, by the way. She was a redhead. So That's true. They could have talked about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he totally would have. All right. Well, three, to, three stars from Todd, two and a half from me, two from Zach. Todd, do you have anything else to say as the one thumbs up of the group? No, I mean, I feel like we're all really in agreement, which is great. <laughs> it is for me. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. Okay. Moving on, it is deep dive day, and uh, and Zach was in a very indulgent mood when it came to picking our deep dive for today, and uh, and a- as he texted me, it- it's the first week of school. He needed a he needed a little break. He needed some levity, so he went to some uh, some movie therapy. Hey, no more indulgent than, than Todd choosing the girl next door. Just gonna put that out there. <laughs> I think I think this is more indulgent than the yeah it start. is. <laughs> this is the same as high fidelity or speed or anything like that. Anything I chose, okay, I get it. All right, well, we are, a, and I love I, my favorite was your justification for it. So we are doing a deep dive. I never got of, justification for it. Of one of Zach's all almost one of Zach's all time favorite comedies. It is Naked Gun 33 and a third, the final insult. But police squad desperately needs him back because a mad bomber is about to blow up Hollywood's biggest bash. And if anyone can stop him, so can Frank. Hold on. Sergeant Frank Drebin, Detective Lieutenant Police Squad. Yeah, and I'm Robert De Niro. Mr. De Niro, we've got to get inside. And Zach's justification is, uh, this is in honor of Todd almost turning 33 and a third. In, oh. in a couple months so uh yeah I, yeah it's a milestone it's a, it's a milestone, milestone movie I, I i like it i like it okay so th- this is i this week was only the second time i've ever seen this movie probably the same for todd so uh zach is the expert on this so todd and i have some trivia for him before we get too deep into this uh how many questions do you have todd uh one two three four five six I have five, so why don't you go first, and we'll go back and forth. Okay. Uh, how many dead bad guys and how many wounded? Uh, 3,000 dead bad guys, like 432 wounded. That is correct, both of them. Uh, what is the headline on the newspaper in the opening scene? Dyslexia for cure found. Yep. If that's a. I mean, you didn't laugh at that. Like, if you don't laugh at that joke, you're probably not going to like the movie. Uh, Todd. 
How does Drebin describe the the village people? You're talking about like the seventies flashback yeah. sequence. I, I don't know. Stone cold, far out, something like that. Some Go. antiquated saying. Stone cold gas. Nice. <laughs> so you're half right. How long have the Drebins been married? Six months. Yep. Uh, what number does Drebin draw at the sperm bank? Uh, uh, well, 17, right? Because yeah. they say he's number 17. Okay. What's the penalty for killing a gang member? Isn't an $80 fine? $18. $18 dollar fine. Okay. Yeah. There's an eight Close. in there somewhere. <laughs> It's uh, sad how much I know. It's sad how many que these questions I'm getting. Well, yeah, I felt the same way last week. <laughs> uh, what is Tanya's address? That's a good question. It, Northeast, like Honey, I thought you might ask that. Honey, Honey Rose Way, something like that. And apparently it's an address from another movie. I can't remember what it was, but there's, it's a reference. <laughs> in case you didn't know, there was there's many references in this movie to other movies. Just and that was view. one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, it's 21403 Honeymoon Bay Road, Northeast. Uh, what is Jane and Frank's song? 99 Bottles of Beer on the Wall. Oh, yeah. always. That's a top five uh, funny moment in the movie for me. Because <laughs> I usually forget about that. And uh, I forgot about this time. And it's just, a, it's, it's a great laugh. God. What were the films mentioned directed by Mr. Bronkowitz? <laughs> yeah, I thought you might ask that too. Um so loin some well i'm just gonna name some words that i think are associated with them like <laughs> spears loincloths um hunter maybe i don't know so we have sandals and loincloths sandals and loincloths sweaty yes. boatmen mm, leather clad mm -hmm. centurion and big shiny spears <laughs> classics <laughs> Right, it's on my, like uh, Ridley Scott movies. <laughs> my last question is, uh, who are the five nominees for Best Supporting Actress? And can you also name the films? Okay, well, the films are going to be hard to name because they're all like basic attraction, fair, you know, like in, in instinct and fatal. and Yeah. Okay, but I can tell you the nominees. The, the winner was Mary Lou Retton. Yes. Uh, that was and... for for fatal affair her fatal affair was that the one about the yeast infection no that <laughs> no. was <laughs> that was the shannon doherty one the the woman with the yeast infection during the tragic buffalo bill season of 1991 yeah you, was, you, can't, that... you can't you can't make up dialogue like that yeah shannon doherty it was basic analysis basic analysis and then morgan fairchild was in the movie about the woman fighting bulimia in the midst of the donner party crossing yep that was final proposal and florence henderson uh, i'm trying to remember what uh, I can't remember what her movie was. That's too. Oh, is it about the cat? That sounds right. The movie title was Analysis of a Proposal. Okay. <laughs> uh, do you know the fifth? Uh, did I miss one? Shannon Doherty, Mary Lou Retton, Morgan Fairchild. Who am I missing here? Who was the fifth? Okay, so they don't actually say it. Okay. But they only mention four. But there's five. So then they pull back and they show like the five faces when uh -huh. they announce the winner. And the fifth one was Courtney Cox. Nice. I didn't even catch that. Yeah. I, I had to go back and look because I'm like, now did I just miss one? Or nope, they never say it. But yeah, it's Courtney Cox. Her face is, the, is in the fifth box. 
Nice. What do we think about Mary Lou Retton as an Oscar winner? Probably better than Christopher Plummer in Beginners, I would think. <laughs> uh, all right, Todd, your last question. Uh, my last one was, uh, can you name the other movies directed by Peter Siegel? Oh, gosh. That's a tough question. Um, but a lot of movies that I liked, because I looked up his IMDb. So 51st Dates was one of them. Yeah. Um, Get Smart was one of them, right? Um, gosh, I don't. Uh, Dumb and Dumber. No, not no, Dumb and Dumber. Um, Brothers. Uh, I know. I knew that. Uh, uh, he did, but didn't he do a Jim Carrey movie at some point? No. Oh, okay. It, I mean, there's a decent amount of Sandler on this list. I mean, it's not exactly a good list of movies. Is why, is why I'm asking. <laughs> I know. I, I remember looking at it being fairly impressed, actually. But uh, go ahead. What What else did he direct? Uh, so he directed after this. That was his first movie with Naked Gun, thirty three and third. He directed Tommy Boy. My that's fellow right, Tommy Americans. Boy. That's what I was thinking of, which I think is an underrated movie. My, yeah, my fellow Americans, which I don't know what that is. The um, Jack Lemon, Dan Aykroyd, Nutty Professor Two, The Clumps. That's anchor management, fifty first dates, the longest yard, get smart, grudge match, second act, and my spy with Dave Bautista. Nice, grudge match. That that's the De Niro Stallone boxing movie. <laughs> yes, that is. <laughs> I've not seen that actually. You haven't uh, seen that? You're missing an entry on the De Niro filmography. He he makes way too many movies now. <laughs> I mean, I, I would have to commit to it. Yeah, I would need to commit Maybe to it. Maybe that's who you commit to. I, feel, I mean, I feel the, that's already been Jake done. It's Jake versus Rocky Balboa. How have you not seen that? Directed from, from the director of Naked Gun 33 and a third. Oh, yeah, that makes it way better. <laughs> way better. Ringing endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, Zach, tell us all about uh, Naked Gun 33 and a third and why you love it so much. I don't remember the first time I saw this movie, but I swear I remember seeing a preview for it at some movie that I went to when I was seven years old in 1994. And the preview featured the the dream sequence in this movie where uh, uh, Leslie Nielsen is, you know, getting married to Gabriella, who unfortunately meets a tragic end uh, at the hands of sharks. But anyway, um, yes, I've loved this movie for a, a great deal of time in my life. Uh, I'm not proud of it. I'm, I'm ashamed of it a bit. But uh, this is the type of humor that I really like. Uh, I like uh, weird um, non sequiturs that make no sense. I like outdated cultural references. I mean, if you didn't know, this movie takes was made in the 90s. Uh, I, think, I think you become aware of that probably within the first 30 seconds of this movie based on all the references to things like Hurricane Andrew and Bill Clinton and uh, um, what else? I mean, there's, there's a bunch of stuff in here. But um, I just, I, I love this movie. I think actually watching it again, I think it's a really well-made movie. I'm going to stick my neck out and say that because I think it's hard to do physical comedy. Like it's hard to do what, what they're doing in this movie is a unique style of, you could call it naked gun style humor. You could call it airplane style humor, but where the background is oftentimes the most interesting kind of comedic focal point. Um, there are scenes in this movie that I think had to be shot several times because they are really well choreographed. And I'm not just thinking about the dance sequence, which I have a lot of thoughts about, but like the supermarket scenes, uh, the scenes in the prison, like those are really well staged. I think Peter Siegel is a good filmmaker. And uh, what Leslie Nielsen does in this movie is super impressive. Uh, he's a mixture between a, a straight man 
and someone who has a lot of comic foibles. I mean, if you don't if you don't think this man's a great actor, watch the scene where he comes home, sits on the couch, pours the ice and the champagne down his crotch, and the smoke comes out. That's that's amazing acting. Um, way better than Christopher Plummer in Beginners. So I give this movie four stars. I want to put it on my top one hundred list. I can't in all uh, you know with you know, I mean I've lost all my credibility by calling out Sparks, of course, but. Uh, I would just lose any remaining if I put Naked Gun 33 and a third on my top 100 list, which I really want to do. Todd? You have this on your top 10 of 1994. Yes, that's that I definitely do. And and the, the critic from the Milwaukee newspaper also had it. Uh, David Stupich of the Milwaukee Journal, according to Wikipedia, also had it 10 on his 94 Yeah, another list. guy had it like number two on his worst list, right? Well, there was another <laughs> critic who did, yes, John Hurley of the Staten Island Advance, but that sounds made up, so. <laughs> well, I've seen this movie one time. I don't really remember when I watched it. Apparently, I've only seen the first one and the third one. <laughs> you watched it with me, man. I, I showed it to you when you were visiting uh, my house in Kansas 10 years ago. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, I vaguely remember that. I mean, I remember well, when I was there, but I don't really yeah. remember when we it's watched It's okay. Let's just say it's okay that you don't remember that. But... <laughs> But I don't know. I mean, what I find interesting about this movie is it, it does something that I don't really know that any other movie does. It's like it's deadpan slapstick. And that that is like some two things that don't go together. But this movie does because like nobody is like trying to be funny, but it's like slapstick humor that makes the deadpan funny. And I don't know. I mean, I, I laughed a few times. I'm not sure what I actually rated this movie. I'm not yeah, really sure. Three what stars. I okay. I mean, that was probably out of respect for Zach. I honestly don't know what I would give it now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it, it, it is filled with references. It, um, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not really a fan of airplane necessarily either. It, it's one of those, I don't know. This is not really my genre, but I mean, it could be interesting to talk about, I guess. Yeah. And listen, I didn't pick this movie purely. It, I mean, it, okay. Yes. It's indulgent, but the last 30 minutes of this movie are the most hilarious spoof of the Academy Awards that have ever been filmed. I mean, th th this is very funny stuff. And uh, I think we talk a lot about the Oscars on this. I, I mean, I can't, I can't think of another movie that depicts the Oscars in such a unconventional and yet oddly like riveting way. I don't know that there are many movies that actually show the Oscars happening. Yeah, I was trying to think of a few. The Bodyguard is one of them with with uh, Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston, but that's not as good. And I, I think there's probably a few others, but Tropic this is Thunder. Yeah, Tropic Thunder. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, that, that. <laughs> In and Out, the classic. Oh, um, oh, yeah, that's as bad as. Can we can we agree that this is the best cinematic depiction of the Oscars? I mean, what else is there? Well, Tropic Thunder is pretty great. Yeah, but this actually gives time to it. I mean, they spend like a half hour on the Oscars. Well, you mentioned the last 30 minutes. The la There are actually seven minutes of credits for this movie. Oh, of course, yeah. That <laughs> That's is... what I thought your guys' trivia questions was going to be. <laughs> the longest credits I've ever seen for a movie with, like, no special effects. <laughs> like, seven minutes. That is a long credits. Well, it's because of all the Easter eggs. That's an hour 23. Yeah, so it's <laughs> like we need to get this movie well over an hour 20 just to make it seem like it's actually a movie and not like a, <laughs> and not a SNL sketch or something. Yeah. I'm just doing some quick math here. Hold on. Let's see here. Terry's adding up. Over 8% of the movie is credits. 
Okay, but you guys saw why, right? Hilarious. Like all the funny credits in it. That's some of that stuff was hilarious. Uh, so I actually ha I have this rated as one and a half stars on the website. It probably deserves more of like a two to two and a half. Here's here's the thing about it. I, I this movie's really dumb. It's really stupid. Um, it's a lot of dumb humor. Uh, the Oscar parts are funny, but the rest of it is just is just kind of dumb. But here's the thing. I fully appreciate the nostalgia for a dumb comedy from your childhood, because I mean, your love of Naked Gun 33 and a third is probably like Todd and, my, Todd and me having love for Police, Police Academy, Academy 6. Exactly. This was my Police Academy. Or or Rocket Man with Harlan Williams. I mean, that this is... Rocket Man's definitely more the same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Rocket Man's de definitely a little more. Uh, just that idea that this is a... It's dumb. It's stupid. It's silly. It, it But you got to love it because of because it's it's your childhood and i i totally get that and respect that the one thing this has going for it that's outside of that is of course the oscars and that's that's what really elevates it beyond you know being one of the one of the worst films of all time <laughs> what i don't know about that i mean i think this movie has a lot going for it we haven't even mentioned anna nicole smith and oj simpson i mean come on yeah uh i i i will say so this week also, um, I was so this is how this is how this week went. I, I was talking to my wife and I said, "Okay, we are deep diving Naked Gun thirty three and a third. And she goes, "What's that? You never seen it? No, I've never seen it. Well, it's it's got Leslie Nielsen in it, the guy from Airplane. She goes, "What's that? I went, Wait, what? So we watched Airplane like Wednesday, and then a couple days later we watched Naked Gun thirty three and a third. So I had airplane fresh in my head, which is everything Naked Gun 33 and the third is trying to do, but better in the way it constructs oh, humor. And then um, and then this is just the the lesser version of it. But um, yeah, I agree so, that it's the same movie. It, both it movies is. even have useless 70 gratuitous 70s flashback sequences, but. Uh, that use uh, staying the exact alive. same one, <laughs> the exact same one. But don't you think so? The reason why, so like, okay, the reason why I love this one more than the first two Naked Gun movies and Airplane is I feel like this movie just went for broke. There was no attempt in this writer's room to try to make any sort of story. These jokes, they're just they're 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 flying out, right? You know, and if one hits, that's great. Uh, a lot of them probably don't hit, and that's great too. Like. The airplane was always trying to like have setup, right? And 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 sometimes the jokes uh, took a long time to deliver. And also an airplane, I think airplane was kind of trying to go for more of a social satire at times, and it was trying to be more provocative. This movie doesn't care about that at all. It's just going for dumb, stupid laughs. And listen, okay, we're doing our top 100 list. I mean, there are people in the world who will say their favorite comedy is, you know, His Girl Friday, right? Or bringing up baby, or some, or the importance of being earnest. You know, some prim and proper and sophisticated old black and white movie. But when it comes right down to it, when you're looking for belly laughs, right? And we're talking about the highest quotient of like, you know, actual laughs per joke. I mean, this movie has to be up there. It's hilarious. Even and Ebert points points this out in his you three just star said review that, that like most of them don't land. Okay, well, there's so many jokes. So that's yeah, like but the there's so of many of them. Said. Okay, I'll, I'll, so I'll not laughs it. per. 
Last you're right. You're right. Okay, I'm using the wrong metric. It's just because there's so many of them, you're bound to laugh at one of them. Is I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's got a lot of laughs, but laughs per capita is quite low. It's it's high on quantity, <laughs> not quality. So I'll I'll rephrase that. But Ebert wrote in his review of it, he he gave all of them thumbs up. He said that you laugh twice during during every joke in this movie. You laugh once because of uh how you can't believe how lame it is that they're actually trying to sell that joke and then you laugh twice at the fact that you actually laughed at it which i agree with that's a weird way to put it yeah i don't know i feel i feel like there there's in some way like austin powers takes from this movie some but it's more of a relaxed version of it like there is a lot of stuff that is even similar like where he's like unwittingly like eating the evidence that's really gross like there's that exact scene in austin powers and like at one point he even does a judo chop and then obviously the flashback <laughs> to the '60s with the with the with the like the afros and stuff like that. Like yeah. yes, uh, Austin Powers does some of the stuff, but it does it in a way that's more that's less slapstick and more just I don't know. I mean, there's an Austin or there's a Mike Myers way of doing things that's just a little bit different. But yeah, well, I, and, and, I, yeah, I that, that's fair. yeah, the, and well, and I mean, Mike Myers versus Leslie Nielsen. There it is. I mean, Mike Myers. Mike Myers is. You know, Austin Powers or Leslie Nielsen, that's the reason you have the deadpan slapstick is because that's Leslie Nielsen to a T. And then, you know, going back to the whole like unabashed nostalgia, like I got I have a taste for 90s Paramount comedies. I love like Wayne's World, Adam's Family, Adam's Family Values, the Brady Bunch movies, Clueless. I think Paramount was putting out killer uh, satire comedies in the 90s that, again, they, their quality of the jokes wasn't always great, but there were so many jokes, and they were oftentimes, you know, making fun of, you know, old TV shows or spin off like Coneheads, you know, uh, spinning off of Saturday Night Live stuff. And, uh, okay, you're not, it's not your proudest moment as a film goer to admit you like it, but it, it, there's funny stuff there. Austin Powers, I believe, was a Paramount movie as well. Um, but uh, I, I, I miss movies that, uh, made fun of old TV shows. That just doesn't really exist anymore. This, this almost it feels more like an Ernest movie or something than than an Austin Powers though. I've had I've had Ernest in my head too. Ever since he said the importance of being Ernest, I, was I haven't seen why, I haven't seen a lot. I was wondering of why movies. there wasn't an Ernest movie named The Importance of Being Ernest. There should have been. <laughs> there should have been. <laughs> Jim Varney should have been in this movie. He was making he, stuff like this a lot. He, he would have totally fit in. Like you should have just had an Ernest and and Frank Drebin like crossover, that would have been amazing. Ernest goes to Police Squad, like or you, Ernest goes to the Oscars. Yeah, there we go. I mean, he went to school. A camp, whole movie jail. set at that Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we usually do a, a recasting. And I don't have anything, but I hear you guys might have something. So what do you have? I had three people. Okay. I kind of half-assed it, though. Why why don't you go with it, Todd? Uh, So for Drebin, uh, I I feel like this is definitely a Rowan Atkinson kind of of movie. Oh, good call. I like that. He's about the right age. I also thought Steve Gutenberg would be really funny, just because Place Cat is better. And it could also be a Bill Murray movie. All of those would be interesting to watch. Uh, for Hawkin, that is a Richard Jenkins to a T. Like I, I, th- I mean, I, I think Richard Jenkins fits up really well. And Nordberg, I did the math, and so 
uh, this was 27 years ago. So 27 years after OJ won the Heisman, Eddie George won the Heisman. So that's my Hawk <laughs> Nordberg. <laughs> that's actually not bad. That's not bad. I, I would say uh, hearing your choices for Drebin, uh, my choice would be like Steve Martin. I guess. That yeah. mean that, but that's that, that's you, Terry. That's like that's that's an easy that's it's an easy pick. You you have to be an artist. It's the white hair. It is. It is. All right, and 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 the fact that Leslie Nielsen seemed to have white hair for the last fifty years of his life, just like Steve Martin. Well, his, his child had white hair, if you remember. Yeah, that's true. It's his baby. All right, <laughs> Zach. What did you have? Oh, uh, so I went. I I did some unconventional stuff. I went with. Uh, the Olympian uh, uh, gold winner uh, Suni Lee as Mary Lou Retton in this movie. <laughs> Shout out to the Olympics. Um, I went uh, the the easiest one was the Anna Nicole Smith role that has has to be today played by Kim Kardashian. Uh, no one else could could maybe Cardi yeah. B, maybe. But I, I, I like, no, see, I think you have to go trashy like Kim Kardashian. I think she's perfect for it. And if Kim Kardashian is going to be in the movie, then so is Kanye. And so I had Kanye as. Uh, the Fred Ward uh, role as as Rocco. Yeah. Um, And I also went with um, Swanky from Nomadland as Rocco's mother. (laughs) And I went with, uh, as Frank Drebin, the only real gray-haired person I could think of with that much unintentional humor was Mr. Robert Kraft of the New England Patriots, who I think was born to be a movie star. And he would be great in this role, which means that his favorite uh, player, uh, Antonio Brown, would play Nordberg. We need a troubled I, football star. I in think this Robert role. Kraft should have been played in a movie by George Kennedy at some point. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Missed opportunity. All right. Who would Nicolas Cage play? Cap <laughs> uh, Schmier. Capture who was a villain in the first movie, by the way, and oddly developed a British accent for this movie. <laughs> in the, in the I, time between, I said he would have been he would have been Weird Al or something like he would have been in that. Oh, okay. Like it, it would have been Nicolas Cage and whoever. Elliot Gould, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, highest war performance, uh, Zach. Well, I mean, I think the easiest pick would be Leslie Nielsen, but, you know, there's so many great actors in this movie. The, the one that I'm actually going to go with, and it's not as though it could have, it probably could have been played by someone else, but I can't see anyone else in that role because I think his facial expressions are so great. I'm going to go with Joe Grifazzi as the director of uh, of the Oscars telecast because, uh, he could be in, apparently he was in, uh, Batman forever and natural born killers and, uh, Todd's number one movie, the deer hunter. Uh, and, uh, I will only see him as the Oscar, as the Gil Cates of the Oscars in this movie with his Maylocks and, uh, his eyes grimacing as he collapses as Frank Drebin is on stage. He, he's amazing in this movie. Who is he in the deer hunter? Uh, band leader. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Is that at the wedding? Where, the guy's singing. Yeah, the guy's get... singing the Four Seasons song. Uh, that is unbelievable. His first movie. I don't right, know. That, that was pretty gun. replaceable, though. I mean, that, that, it that's is replaceable. Like, I just can't see anyone else in it, like, though. Like David Pamer or something. Like, <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that do that yeah. exact thing. 
Yeah, but he's his face is so memorable. I can't see any anyone else's face in giving those reactions. David Pamer is is a great call. That's a great call. Um, all right, my highest war. Uh, yeah, it, the easy pick is Leslie Nielsen. But if you're gonna go go outside of that, I'm going Anna Nicole Smith. Um, because for Two a couple seconds. reasons. First off, she's pretty funny in this movie. Like she she nails it. And at the same time, when you get someone who's just like that classic beauty at like the perfect time in her career to play that bombshell and and she's it. And there's there's like no one out there right now that that has that classic look like she does or like she did, especially in this movie. I mean, it it she just makes that part iconic because of of how she looks and she's really funny at the same time like she she's not just the pretty face like if it was kim kardashian yeah you'd be like oh hey kim kardashian's in it but she would be lousy because she's kim kardashian <laughs> and nicole smith is actually funny so uh so that's my pick well you could say like anna darmis i mean she's playing marilyn monroe and like uh that's it it kind of looks similar to Anna Nicole Smith at the time. But yeah, I, I was thinking about seeing her as well. Right, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I kind of want to say OJ just because that he he has actually real comedic talent w with how he with his facial expressions and how he carries himself. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how you could really replace that in this movie. And he. I don't know. There's just some things that, that that is totally him too. You see archival footage of OJ, like whether he's in court or whatever, and like I feel like he's doing the naked gun thing when he's in court. Like I mean, there's really there's I don't know that there's actually a I don't, I don't know that there's actually a difference between the actor and and the and the real person. So I'll say OJ. And plus, it's weird that it came out like a few months before you know he was in his white Bronco. <laughs> Yeah, there's that. Okay. Uh, worst performance, Zach? Uh, there's no bad performances in this movie. Um, I think it's a loaded cast that's uniformly terrific. However, I do think they probably could have come up with someone who looks more like Bill Clinton than the actor Timothy Waters. Who also played a... Oh, wow. Wait, never... He's only made a career of Bill Clinton lookalikes. Okay, maybe I should take that back. I just I think he's a little he's a little too thin for Bill Clinton. He's got the face. By the way, what are your guys thoughts about Clive Owen as Bill Clinton in, I in saw the upcoming that. series? I, yeah. I don't know if I buy it. Like the the trailer oh, it looks a little sketchy, but that's that's in the thing with uh with Jonah Hill's sister. Yeah, yeah Edie Feldstein. Yeah, the American yeah. Crime Story. Edie Falco and I didn't know that I didn't see Clive Owen being cast. Why is it always British people playing American presidents? It's <laughs> a good question. I, uh, watching the trailer, I think it works. I think it works. Okay, well, Timothy. So Timothy uh, Waters also played Bill Clinton lookalike in uh, Austin Powers: The Spy Who Shagged Me, Life or Something Like It, Casino Jack, and uh, The Nanny. So maybe I should take it back. Maybe I don't know. Priscilla Presley, I guess, is not that funny in this movie. Maybe I'll go with her. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, all right. I my think pick, she's pretty funny, but whatever. My pick is O.J. Simpson. Uh, I. He, uh, I, I realize he's, you know, he's part of the the ensemble cast that's been in all of them, but 
and he's probably better in the other ones, but I thought he was kind of lousy in this one. He really didn't have a whole lot to do and, and all his bits just didn't land. And there was like one scene where he seemed to be staring wildly off camera the entire time the camera was on him. <laughs> and it, it was like, wait, what's he look? And I was waiting for the punchline. It's like, what, what's he looking at? I mean, they're going to turn around and there's going to be something behind Drebin's head. And, and, and there was nothing. He just was staring like very intently at something off camera and they left it in the movie. And uh, after I saw that, I'm like, well, that's just horrible. So uh, OJ Simpson's my pick for worst performance. Uh, my worst performance was uh, Oscar winner, George Kennedy. I, th- I think he's terrible. Like, I, I, I don't think he, anything he did was funny. And I, I feel like he was just lost <laughs> in the movie. Like I, every time he's on screen, I was like, is, is he drunk? <laughs> I guess, like I, I don't know, the, n- nothing worked with that character. So according to the uh, commentary, and I did watch this movie twice. I watched it once and then a second time with commentary. The filmmakers uh, say that uh, George Kennedy was very sick the day throughout the shoot, but particularly the day they were shooting the '70s flashback scene. So that is why he is sitting at the table instead of standing because he couldn't stand. And in the sequence, that's the ripoff of, of the Untouchables. He almost fell down the stairs. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's pretty amazing. You know who I, I wanted to? I think there's some really great baby performances in this movie. Now we just watched a movie where there was a, a puppet that played a baby. And this was a great reminder that having authentic babies are much more effective. I was almost going to give my highest war performance to Nikki Siegel, who was the daughter of the director. And she was the baby at the grocery store who uh, uh, Frank um, accidentally pushes the mom's cart with. Go back to that you know, one second um, uh, reaction shot. That's a great reaction shot from a baby. I don't know how you train a baby to do that, but uh, she's she was stellar in that role. I thought you were going with the untouchable scene when they were just like lots of great dolls, babies in there, dolls in the in the air, and OJ was catching them. Yeah, <laughs> and doing a spike. Yeah, and yeah, apparently, according to the man. commentary, the directors had to teach OJ how to do that dance because OJ was uh, adamant that he did not celebrate after touchdown dances, and he didn't know how to do it. Uh, okay. Amazing, Larry Big Tim High Roller Award for Best Minor Character, Zach. Uh, hmm, let's see. Uh, a lot of good choices here. Um, I think I might have to go with minor character. Shoot, I was not expecting to go next. Should I uh, come back to you? Yes, come back to me. Okay. Uh, Todd, how about you go first? Uh, I, I would say Pap Schmier because he he has like the the mustache of like an amazing bond villain or something he walks out of a different movie he's in what two scenes and none of them really have anything to do with anything but he's kind of awesome i want to watch more of that character yeah what i love about patchmere is you know he's hiring this guy to pull off this massive bombing and operation and uh he's going to jail to hire him because that's the first place where you'd want to hire someone is when they're in jail Exactly. Great, great plan. So I have a few, a few I want to mention with the uh, with minor character. First, um, a couple I didn't realize were in the movie. Apparently, in the Oscar audience is Paul Feig. Um, apparently, he's out there. And then um, 
the uh, the boy of geriatric park was played by uh, SNL alum Taron Killam, Killiam, which I I didn't re- realize, uh, but I just saw first role. Uh, I've got two for for favorite minor character. The first one is the security guard with the bubble wrap, uh, because totally today he would be played by Kevin Malone from The Office, or Paul um, Hauser. No, no, no. It's 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 uh what. Uh, Kevin Malone, whatever his real name is, Brian Baumgartner. Bom- yeah, Brian Baumgartner. Yeah, he he would play him. And the other one is uh is the old man from Home Alone who plays the conductor, uh of the. Uh, yeah, he's good. Yeah, um, then he didn't he didn't get to talk about uh little dangly earrings this time, but yeah. Oh, Ed, <laughs> I didn't make that connection that he was in Home Alone. This movie is also a uh, a great clinic. For any filmmaker who wants to study how to do great reaction shots. <laughs> um, yeah. My minor character, I'm going to kind of go the same direction that you did, Terry. Um, I love uh, the n- nurse or the doctor. I can't, sh- I'm not sure who she's listed as in the credits, but the doctor at the sperm bank who, uh, you know, Frank is telling the story about how he was in the backyard with his uncle and he was pulling it. And, uh, and uh, she says, when when he when she gives him the cup and he looks surprised and, and she says, Well, it's not the backyard. It's a great, great delivery. It's a great line. It's a great line. All right. Stickman and douchebag. <clears throat> spider stickman, Billy Bat's douchebag. Uh my my spider stickman is Weird Al because he landed Vanna White for the Oscars, which uh was was quite the get. And uh, and my douchebag is Vanna White because she's the one that uh, that is the one that steps up and says the jig is up and uh, oh it's true and, and and ends the whole the whole ruse so uh, so there's my there's my stick man and douchebag <laughs> yeah Todd uh well I mean I, you 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 want to say Rocco is a stick man but he's not getting it in for obvious reasons with his girlfriend or whatever because uh, there's nothing to get in. Um, Bill Clinton is obviously the stick man for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. And uh, the biggest douchebag, I would say, I want to say Arlie Ermey as the mess hall guard, which he's been in another movie we deep dove. Uh, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> he, had, he had a douchebag line. And also, of course, Randall Tex Cobb is a big Harry Con because, you know, he's going to rape somebody. That's probably a douchey thing to do. Probably, probably. Yeah, Randall Tex Cobb was my biggest stick man. Um, yeah, I think that's all we need to say that's about all that. You need to say. But that's uh, my uh, my biggest douchebag of the movie was Joey, um, and Joey was the stairman who uh, was not paying attention to his job and uh, let the stairs kind of run out and uh, said Joey, and I'm like doing the crosswords or something. What is with all these crew members backstage at the Oscars who get distracted by like crossword puzzles and, you know, bubble pop, not taking their jobs too seriously. Nope. Nope. I, I, I think, I think low key MVP might have to be chastity belts though. Um, best scene. What was it called? Best... The Denver something. Denver jockstrap. <laughs> that is such a 90s gag by the way you would never see that in a movie today but that is that was like a paramount pictures gag like that was right out of like tommy boy or black sheep or something but i i miss guys holy like shnikey it worked when's the last time we got a, a hit to the groin laugh anymore 
Whatever, whatever happened to whatever happened to laughter, right? <laughs> Wait, but you hated that Nassim Pedrad movie that we reviewed. That was like filled with this kind of shit. What what movie? Desperados. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. Maybe there's a reason <laughs> they don't do it anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Todd. What's the best scene in this movie? Oh, cool. I mean, there are a few times that I that I laughed. One of them was actually the opening sequence when but the the main part was when he he like was trying to do like a James Cagney like gun shoot thing but he was out of bullets and then the next shot is him with a Tommy gun just like <laughs> mowing him down with like a really serious look in his face. I actually laughed at that point. And another one I the other thing I love is is the prison sequences. Especially like he has these like stupid like arrested development kind of lines like that like um uh, or like uh, like a blind blind man at an orgy. I have to. I'm gonna have to feel things out. <laughs> yes. You know, like those are those are the kind of things that I mean they're pretty funny and creative. But like I mean, that's basically arrest, what Arrested Development did with that gimmick. But I mean, like a, a communication urinal, breakdown kind of things. You know, like a midget at a urinal. I was gonna have to stay on my toes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He has a great way with like similes and like metaphors. <laughs> Very colorful language. Uh... Or another good one was I like my sex like I like my basketball one on one with very little dribbling. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. I still don't even know what that means. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. <laughs> but it made you laugh. Uh, my my favorite is is the whole uh, uh, Phil Donahue Raquel Welch sequence mm-hmm. like that. That's oh, just Phil. that's just ridiculous. I mean, Next everything from him hanging Phil. off the stairs to <laughs> what'd you say? Next time we won't invite Phil. Or <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so that, and then, then the, um, the, uh, the line with uh, outside the Oscars with the, uh, with the invitations and how he looks at the two of them, <laughs> weird Alan, Vanna white. All right, come on in. And then the next <laughs> one is, is that shaving cream? Okay. <laughs> and the guy, the guy he, she's with has it all over this, his side. And yeah, that was, yeah, uh, that was pretty funny. And this and see this movie's like oddly prescient because this was before the Oscars with that lady who wore the credit card dress. Like it, it was right before that. And I think most people today would just assume it was parroting that. Also, this movie came out before the Shawshank Redemption. Anyone watching this movie today would just assume it's ripping off the Shawshank Redemption. Well, and it's not. Point. It's not. It came out before the Shawshank Redemption. This movie well, the has a lot year. of foresight. Yeah, same, well, yeah. yeah. I like how they're pole vaulting out of the prison. Yeah. Cool. I like the I like the Beauty and the Beast esque uh, chandelier, uh, you know, uh, grip. That was pretty good. All right, Zach. All right, I, I mentioned this before. I think the 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 scene with Pia Zadora. This could be the start of something big. I I have to say it. I know it sounds like hyperbole. I think that's the funniest scene in movie history. I think I could put that scene on on the most depressing day, rainy out, crummy, and that scene would would make me laugh. And uh, I, I think it's a remarkably well choreographed scene. To choreograph something that badly, I think is is probably really hard. It's probably maybe harder than choreographing something really well. I love Pia Zadora in that scene. I love that she just went for it and had no bones about it. And I mean, when he's like up there just grabbing his crotch and trying to trying to dance around, and we we's holding all those top hats, I, I it's genius. That is a great comic scene. 
tell me there's a funnier scene in movie history. Yeah, that one. That one's pretty. Cool. And the song is great, too. It's a real song, by the way. I didn't know that. I actually researched it a little bit. And and, and it's such a good song. It got stuck in my, it gets stuck in my head a lot. And uh, it actually played on the end credits for three of the eight minutes. <laughs> uh, all right. Any uh, anything you guys want to mention in uh, in flaws or outdated things, conspiracy theories? Well, I just wanted to say a few things. First of all, this I think this movie has foresight. I was gonna I was gonna mention the thing about Shawshank Redemption. This movie also gave the world attention to Huey Lewis before uh, Christian Bale did in uh, American Psycho. Do you like Huey Lewis in the news? Yeah, this movie was on it way before that, six years before. Um, I also just wanted to point out, too, that um, I think it's odd that both Pia Zadora and Raquel Welch somehow survive falling off the stage, and yet Rocco's mother dies because the thing falls on her. I feel like that's an inconsistency in the movie. Um, but other than that, I really don't have any flaws. I think it's a virtually a perfect movie. Todd, your response? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, there's obviously there are more inconsistencies than that you can come up with, but like I don't know. Like Fred Ward, he like drowns out the entire audience without a microphone at the Oscars, and like I was like, what is like? And I mean, yeah, he shot a gun, but that's probably as loud as the audience was at the time. I don't know, like stuff like that. I mean, you could just pick a lot of stuff like that out. One thing I thought was interesting is that like Drebin's house looks a lot like Rita's house in Dexter. It might have been shot at this on the same street. Uh, I don't really. I don't know. I don't really. I mean, I wasn't gonna write down all the flaws that I came up with during the movie. That would have been. We'd be here all day. This movie's sort of impervious to flaws, like the Irish art to psychoanalysis. Like it's just not really possible to think of any. Well, I mean, and I want to know. Okay, so when he when the guy when Rocco comes in and he he shoots up in the air, he's like, he's like, everyone be quiet or no one's gonna get hurt, and then the guy falls out of the of the sky and he's like okay after that or something like how did he shoot that guy if so then why was he yelling like was he dead like and then but then he would wouldn't have been able to yell i, I was i was wondering that <laughs> i was like how he couldn't have just like clipped him out and then just had him fall like i don't know what do you think i've never really thought about that before <laughs> Uh, let's see here. Are we ready to wrap this up? LVP, MVP? Did you, you have, any have any flaws there? You're the one who, you're the only one on this podcast who dislikes this movie. I didn't say I dislike it. I just said it's dumb. Um. Uh, this is the category Terry never comes up with anything. I don't, for. I, it's true, it's true. I never do. Okay. Um. Yeah, I don't really have anything. I don't have any conspiracy theories or anything. Um, yeah. Why is Florence Henderson, uh, um, due for an Oscar? That's my question. Yeah. Well, uh, apparently Frank, Frank Drebin is a big fan of her work. Did you like that both the Florence Henderson and Amby Davis were in this movie, but in separate scenes? What were the odds of that happening? Like maybe <laughs> a thousand to one. I would have gotten on that. Who's Ann B. Davis? Oh, she was Alice in the in the Brady Bunch. 
Um, did you guys ever watch the Brady Bunch movie? Either of them from the mid nineties? No. <sighs> we had, so, no. We had such different childhoods. Okay. I mean, it makes sense why, you know, this movie doesn't impact you the same way, but I, I love this movie. I mean, this was just always something stupid to turn on. And, uh, I think, I don't know. There are some things about this movie that obviously haven't aged well. I mean, I, I guess the thing going back to flaws for a second, like there's some very, like, I don't know, uh, you know, jokes that you really couldn't make anymore in 2021 in particular, the joke that leads up to the funniest line in the movie about, uh, uh, Phil Donahue throwing up into a tuba. I guess the thing I don't like about that, it's not so much that, you know, it's a transphobic joke. I just, I, I don't like that he looks at the camera and just winks. I think that's that's kind of lame. Uh, so I wish that they had, you know, gone, not not relied so much on that. But then again, it was the 80s and 90s. And this, these, this was, you know, the Zucker brothers and Airplane is full of them too. So, but the best stuff in this movie, I think has aged pretty well, like the dance sequence. No one today would understand that reference to the crying game. But that's one thing I love about this movie is that the the cultural references, um, you know, anyone under 30 really wouldn't understand this movie. And yet that's the reason I love it. Okay, MVP, LVP, I'll, I'll stop praising it. All right. You got to move on. Zach, go for it. Oh, MVP, LVP, um, MVP of this movie. Uh, I, 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 I was going to go, I think I'll just go with it. I'll go with Pia Zadora. Uh, for for all the reasons I mentioned, um, amazing, Loki, one of my best supporting actress nominees from 1994. LVP of this movie are the critics, um, who only gave this 54% uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. I think this is a misunderstood classic of 90s cinema, and I think it's funnier than Dumb and Dumber, which Whoa. came out the same year. By the way, Peter Farrelly was on the set of this movie for three weeks, according to the uh, cast, uh, the crew commentary. So I think he got a lot of his uh, his education. Academy Award winner Peter Farrelly got his education on the set of this movie. All right. Uh, for me, my LVP is Phil Donahue. Oh, yeah, um, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Renee, he's never coming back to the Oscars. And my, my, my MVP is uh, Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway for bringing uh, controversy with the envelopes back a couple years ago. Good call. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine if they were presenting Best Picture when he had stuffed the stuffed the bomb in the Best Picture envelope and they walked out with the wrong envelope? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Todd. Uh, LVP is the umpire at the baseball game because in prison because obviously he wasn't safe. He was under the plate. He was didn't touch the plate. <laughs> That's just bad. And uh, the MVP is Fred Ward because. I don't know. I, I don't know why he, he was didn't have more roles like this, like this and like Joe Dirt and stuff. Like, it, it's a shame that he's just like completely irrelevant now because he was awesome at these kind of like supporting ridiculous. Porky roles. Romano. I've never seen it, but oh, um, with Chris Kattan. Yeah, I don't like my, my favorite Fred Ward part in this is when he does his like uh, his butthead laugh. Like after they're like doing like the bomb testing thing, he's just like, huh, that was cool. <laughs> 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 I was like, yeah, there's nothing more 90s than that. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's wrap this all up with our quote of the day. And we're going to go to Todd first. Uh, my quote comes from uh, the scene, uh, like, midway through the end credits of Annette. Uh, which, uh, oh, gosh, I turned it off. 
they sing they, they were do. singing a song and they, they're singing a song and at part it says if you liked what you saw tell a friend if you have no friends tell a stranger tonight and that's the way i feel about everyone should look at this podcast or something yeah i really wanted to fart during the movie that was another flaw i had well, that, who that, are they to tell me to not fart? That's leading into my quote of the day, oh, which is fart. the opening to Annette. In a black screen, you hear, ladies and gentlemen, we now ask for your complete attention. If you want to sing, laugh, clap, cry, yawn, boo, or fart, please do it in your head. Only in your head. You are now kindly requested to keep silent and to hold your breath until the very end of the show. Breathing will not be tolerated during the show. So please take a deep last breath right now. Thank you. So may we start? <laughs> and yeah, you gave it a thumbs down. The opening is great. The opening was I awesome. I love the first five minutes. That, that song is brilliant. May we start is, is the best Sparks Brothers song. That's it's the best. It's, it's the best thing they they wrote because if you've seen the Sparks documentary, you've been you've seen all you know 120 of their records that the movie exhaustively goes through. <laughs> I have not seen the documentary yet. I need to. All right, Zach, wrap us up. All right. Well, there's. I'm. It's shameful that neither of you picked lines from. But not surprising that you didn't pick we lines from. We already said Gunther. them. All. I know. That's well, one the, of the, the one. I right. I mean, one of the ones that I, the, I was originally going to go with, like a blind blind man orgy. I was going to have to feel things out or. Like the midget of your own life is gonna have to state my toe on my toes. But I also really like like those stupid little lines. Like, for example, when he offers Anne Nicole Smith a cigarette, he's like, cigarette, and she says, I know. And uh it, that's kind of reminiscent of the line in The Rock when um Nicolas Cage says, Well, I'm suddenly good speed. And uh Connery says, Well, of course you are. Um, yeah. So I think this movie predicted a lot of things in the 90s. It was a very intelligent movie, and it's a four-star movie. The, the one the one naked gun line I thought about saying that we hadn't said yet was, well, we shot a lot of people together. It's been great. But today I retire. So if I do any shooting now, it'll have to be within the <laughs> confines of my own home. Hopefully an intruder and not an in-law like at my bachelor party. Yeah, that got some groans. <laughs> I was also thinking about you know him talking about skinning cats and giving people uh, the cold at night uh, who are cold at night some fur. Um, and then I also like the line where, where they're at the therapist's office and uh, the therapist suggests, you know, have you tried sexy lingerie, lacy underwear, a black teddy? And then uh, Frank says, I've tried them all. <laughs> so many lines. That's a naked gun line, you know? It, that, yeah. Or, or is that an airplane line? That feels more like yeah, an airplane Yeah, it's a Zucker Brothers line. How about is. that? Yeah. It is. All right. Well, with that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, again, make sure you subscribe, rate, review wherever you find us uh, and wherever you find the podcast. Check out almostsideways.com for all the information. We'll be back at you next week with another episode 20 to 11 on our top 100s. Until then, have fun watching movies and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.